Hello, everybody. This is Joel Junker, and welcome to another episode of the Karen Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. The Karen Brooks Podcast, uh, once again, we're going to interview, or we are interviewing a Karen Brooks alumnus, meaning somebody that's made the transition as a military officer from the military to the business world. And, this, and in this episode, I interviewed or spoke with Dan Allen. Dan is the, a current vice president at Gray Mountain Partners. Gray Mountain is a private equity firm. Uh, we did not place Dan there. We actually, Dan made uh, the transition from the Air Force back in 1997 to Procter & Gamble. His career went on to uh, be the CFO of Garrett Aviation, which was a division of GE at that time. Uh, moved from there to another uh, Fortune 500 company called Eaton Corporation before making his way to Gray Mountain Partners. Uh, Dan is a former, uh, or excuse me, is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and also has a master's degree in economics from Ohio State University. I really enjoyed my conversation with Dan. Uh, specifically, I liked his advice where he said, do every job like it is the last one you'll ever have. Uh, plus, I like the fact that no matter what position you find yourself into in business, Dan feels like it's really important that you understand how the business operates, how they make money, how they're profitable, and recommends a great book called What Every CEO Wants You to Know by Ram Sharan. So a good 45-minute podcast loaded with great information for somebody that's been out working in the business for 20 years and has been extraordinarily successful. I hope you enjoy uh, for those of you that are military officers that are making the, the decision or considering leaving the military, I encourage you to also read PCS to Corporate America. Visit our website at Cameron-Brooks.com uh, where you can read the first chapter and the introduction to PCS to Corporate America. You can also order it on Amazon.com. Also, you can always send us an email at candidates at Cameron-Brooks.com to get started. If you're an alumnus of Cameron Brooks who've been through the program, and you need any career advice, just reach out to us uh, at any point in time. You know where to find us. We're here to help. Uh, we all want you to reach your potential and have a successful career. Enjoy the episode. Dan, it's Joel. Welcome to the Cameron Brooks Podcast. It's great to have you on here today. Thanks, Joel. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, you know, just for the audience, Dan and I were chatting a little bit before we started, and uh, He's going to, Dan wants to share with everybody in the podcast about some of his career progressions, his challenges, and overcoming adversity. But because Dan's in a unique, what I think is a unique role right now or a position within his career, I want him to just, Dan, if you just start off just talking to us about Gray Mountain Partners, uh, what that is, what you do there, and then you're also the uh, the affiliate manager, if I'm saying this right, Bolt Tech Manning. So if you want to just walk us through that, that would be, I think, a good starting point for us. Sure, Joel. Uh, Gray Mountain Partners is a private equity firm. And uh, what we do in private equity is uh, we, we invest institutional money, typically uh, coming from institutions like pension funds, insurance companies, a lot of university endowments. And our firm makes investments in what we call lower middle market companies. So companies that are typically between, say, 30 and $150 million in sales, and we go execute a buyout of that company. It, it might be a, a family-owned business where the founder is retiring and 
wants to uh, cash in his equity and, and move on and, and we put a professional leader in place or could be a, a, a buyout of a division of a large corporation or you know in some instances something that another private equity firm owns. So what we do at Gray Mountain Partners is we look at a lot of different investment opportunities, probably 1,300 companies a year. We might buy one or two a year and uh, we spend a lot of time with the companies that we own trying to partner with those management teams to, to make them better. And, and so how do you feel with Bolt Tech looks like it's a company that you, that the Gray Mountain bought or invested in and, and you're providing some leadership to them, is that right? Uh, sure, it would probably help to, to talk about our model and how we manage those our investments. So yes, Bolt Tech Mannings is one of our portfolio companies at Gray Mountain, and actually, uh, I, I used to be the CFO of that company, and that's how I found my way over to the investing side of private equity. But in general, the, the folks in our firm, you know, uh, do do a number of different roles. Where we have to we have to source new investments and find new opportunities, and there's a lot of work to do in due diligence and in closing transactions. But then once we own something we appoint one person on our team to be the main liaison to that investment. So my title is affiliate manager. I don't, I don't do anything to run that company. Um, our, our model is, in our model, we're very careful to empower our management teams to, 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 to drive that business, specifically our CEO. So I, I serve as sort of the main liaison to our CEO and it's my job to, build a relationship with that individual and, and really understand the challenges that the company's facing and try to offer any support we can without uh, without being invasive or prescriptive and, and sort of taking away that empowerment that's so important to us. So you've taken us up to, to where you are today and you talked about being the CFO at Bolt Tech first. Uh, but let's go back to, you know, let's go to your career progression. Uh, graduated from the Air Force Academy with an economics degree in 1992. Um, maybe talk, can you share with us about your transition story, uh, why you made the decision to leave the Air Force and entering into your career at Procter & Gamble? I think that'll just walk us up and we can start walking up to, to today with Gray Mountain. Um, sure, Joel, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, so I, I graduated from the Academy in 92 and uh, my first Air Force assignment was actually to go to grad school at Ohio State. I studied economics, and I was in a, a Ph.D. program in economics. I um, just, just ended up getting a master's degree, but really developed a strong passion for capitalism during that time. And and I uh, kind of felt like I don't want to sit around and read journal articles about economics all day. I, I want to be a leader. I want to be out there doing this stuff. And that was really my, my main motivation for, for pursuing a corporate career. I sort of shortly after grad school saw Roger Cameron give a seminar at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and you know my transition went great. I I worked with Cameron Brooks for um, gosh probably three years um, back when back when Chuck Alvarez was first starting with the firm, and uh, it was a great experience because. I really got to know you guys, and uh, you guys got to know me. So when it came time for the conference, uh, there, there were a lot of great options for me. Back in that day, just a little bit of history, I just curiosity. What 
what were your options if you wanted to get out of the military? How were people making that transition back in 1994, five, six, seven time yeah. range? You know, it, it was really, it was really Cameron Brooks and uh, a couple other recruiting firms who I think had a little more of a high volume, you know, just show up to our job fair sort of model. And I remember there were a lot of debates amongst uh, JMOs I knew about which path to pursue, and and uh, you know I I just always knew you know about how how selective Cameron Brooks was, and I was proud at the time, still am proud to have been chosen for the program. Um, it, you know the only other model that that I, I kind of learned about later is it seemed like there were there was a subset of folks um, more typically. West Pointers, Annapolis grads uh, who had a model of serving their active duty time and they may be going straight to business school after active duty service at a, at a, at a top 10 business school and jumping into the corporate world that way. But th those were kind of the only options I knew at the time. How do you feel like the, the, the Cameron Brooks program for you helped build, you mean you have this great academic foundation, you, you're obviously a top performing officer. How did Cameron Brooks add value to your to your development, if you will. Yeah, I mean, there's no no doubt there was great value there, Joel. And I I, I think it was two things. Number one, for me, I, you know, I'm a kid who, who who grew up in a working class background. You know, my father was a, a union electrician at a Caterpillar plant. I'm actually actually. Uh, he, he disrespected business careers, thought the guys in the office didn't do anything. It's something we've always joked about over the years. So I didn't really have a good picture of what a business career looks like. And certainly all the time I spent with Cameron Brooks and talking to Roger and talking to Chuck every time they came to Wright-Patterson really helped me develop that understanding. And then the reading program did more of the same. But I also think the interview preparation was tremendously valuable. You know, to to walk through those standard interview questions and 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 practice them over and over and kind of get to where I could make those key few points to drive home a great answer. That, that's something I've used my whole career. Has there? Let's come back to that in terms of it, the how you've used your military officer background or or what you've learned in Cameron Brooks as you've managed your career because you've done extraordinarily well. Let's go into then you leave the Air Force, uh, work for Procter & Gamble for a little over three years in finance. Describe what a financial analyst does. Because I think there's misperceptions out there what a finance person does in corporate America. A lot of people I think say that, yeah, you're just at your cube, you're on spreadsheets all the time. But how, what does a financial analyst do and how is being a JMO, how can you use your lever leverage your military officer leadership skill set? Being a financial right. analyst. Sure. So, so in a in, in a corporate finance role, you know, especially when when you're on the, the the operational side of the business, you know, where where the profit and loss statements are kept, the the finance person is just sort of the the right hand of of the general manager for that business unit or other other key functional leaders in the business. So. When I went to Procter and Gamble, I started off as a as a cost analyst working on the the manufacturing side of a of a business unit we called product supply, 
So I was out there working with purchasing people, with manufacturing people, with the folks working on the brand team so they can understand the cost structure of the business. So I think it's a, it's a real misperception that you're just sitting in your cube crunching numbers. You know, there's certainly the time and a place for that. And I, I, in those early days, I spent a lot of time every month putting a cost forecast together and analyzing numbers. But where I differentiated myself and used my military background and my, my leadership and my speaking skills to make a difference is getting out of that cubicle and getting out there and talking to lots of people and asking great questions about the business and getting myself to the position where I was a knowledge leader, a thought leader in the business where I could share insights into what's going on. And that led me to a, a pretty quick promotion at P&G from the cost side of the business to being a brand analyst who's now partnering with a brand manager and has overall responsibility for uh, a, a group of products. So now we're talking pricing and strategy and what are we going to invest in and um, you know where, where's our profit going to end up for the year, things of that nature. And again, stepping beyond that finance role I would do things like go to the focus groups with the ad agency when we were looking at launching a new program and getting involved in the marketing side of the business and sort of just really being a partner to the people in the business and, and seeing that franchise as your own. I, I think there's a lot of finance people out there doing that. Um, it, it, in, you go on to GE. Uh, and then Eaton Corporation, and there you get into hiring roles you, where you hired military officers into corporate finance. Why did you feel like a military officer was a good fit for right. the, 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 whether it be six? I think you had some, some Six Sigma roles, but you also had some corporate finance roles. Why is it? Why did you hire? You could go to boy, you could you could have gone to. I don't know, Wharton, Northwestern, or maybe not North, we go to Northwestern, but Wharton, the big finance schools out sure. there, but why the JMO? Yeah, you know, Joel, I, I, uh, when, I, when I left P&G, it, it was a really tough decision, a real crossroads in my career, and I mentioned that I was reaching out and getting involved in the brand side of the business, and they had actually asked me to, to transition to brand management, uh, but I had this opportunity with GE, which was really known as a place where finance people end up running businesses. Uh, at Procter & Gamble, it was more of a marketing-driven organization, and I felt like I had finance sort of as my core skill deep down. So I ended up going to GE, and I was placed in a very difficult situation. I was the finance manager for a plant with about a, a thousand folks, um, uh, 700 million plus of, of business going through that place every year, big union facility, uh, one of their most important facilities in, in their aircraft engine service business in the world. And what I walked into was a, a plant that was performing pretty well, but with a terrible finance team. And I remember my um, CFO back in Cincinnati came to me, and I think I had 11 people on the finance team, and he said, look, I think you can do this with six people. And honestly, I, Joel, I wanted to pick up the phone and call my old boss at P&G. <laughs> oh, gosh, I've made a big mistake. We've got to go back to Cincinnati. But, I, you know, I realized, okay, I can do this with six people, but it has to be the right six people. 
And one of the areas where we really needed help were improving some basic, some basic processes, uh, the way that we accumulate cost on an engine and how that comes together for an invoice to our customers. And so really the first thing I thought is a, a JMO. I needed somebody with those, with the leadership skills, with the ability to, to kind of handle a dynamic, stressful environment, somebody that I knew we could, we could teach the finance side of things. And uh, I hired that first JMO back in 2000. So it would have been just three years after, after I left the Air Force myself. I uh, hired a guy named Kerry Heiss, who's, who's done quite well. In, in his career, and uh, he came into this process improvement role and, and, and really really knocked it out of the park. And, and that led to us, I, I think, hiring two or three other folks uh, at, at GE Aircraft Engines. So for me, you know, as, a, as a finance leader and I was growing into those CFO roles, I wanted to find those folks that were more than just accountants. You know, I felt like I felt like someone who's 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 smart and inquisitive and, and willing to learn can learn accounting, but it's hard to learn sort of the leaders the leadership side of things and take an initiative and, and really just being a go to problem solver in the business. Um, and then you you after several years at GE, I think like five years. I mean, then that's kind of I would say normal and I think somebody is it continued to progress but you took a nice jump up in responsibility moving to Eaton Corporation and there they had never really hired people into finance before JMOs and you initiated that with them uh, continuing along that way um, you know so you tell tell me about that story how you brought why military officers there because I actually remember when you called in from Eaton and you talked about you talked to Chuck as Chuck tells a story. He says, "Look, what are you looking for?" And I think he took like five six minutes to explain what you wanted. And never in that five six minutes did you ever mention accounting and finance courses. It was all about leadership and a track record of success. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, Joel. I mean, that's uh, it, it's all about leadership. And, and and everywhere I've been in a in a great organization. That's tended to be the model, you know. Now at now at Great Mountain Partners, I remember when I first got the the CFO job in our portfolio and talked to one of the folks at the firm and you know what the criteria were for CFOs, and they said leadership, 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 and and that was really my mindset when I got to Eaton. So similar, similar deal, you know. While I was at GE, we we divested the the business unit that I was the CFO of and. Actually, that's what got me exposure to private equity, which is a really interesting, a different story. I don't want to get us off track here, but I uh, came to Eaton with, with a similar mandate that I, I just talked about at, at GE. At somehow my career was taking this path where uh, kind of building a finance team was becoming something that uh, was, was a bit of my calling card, and I always looked to get the strongest team possible. And every time that, that I had uh, an available headcount, an available position to hire, I wanted to look at that JMO route first. And uh, gosh, I wish I had my notes. I remember I sent something to Chuck and I developed kind of a little model for what I'm looking for. There might have even been an acronym behind it, like a true military guy. But uh, 
really the core the core aspects of what I was looking for were were leadership, um, analytical horsepower, just kind of the bandwidth upstairs, and um, and a huge intellectual curiosity. You know, I, I think if if candidates out there are considering a, a career in something like finance or Certainly, like I am now on the investing side of finance, intellectual curiosity is huge. I mean, I'm going to, I always judge a candidate a lot more on the questions they ask me during an interview than, uh, than on some of the, the, the more stock questions I may ask them. You know, I want to hear candidates that are truly interested in how our company makes money and where we're going with the business and what are the possibilities. And like I said earlier, I think we can. We can fill in any gaps on the on the the technical accounting side. So we've talked a little bit about a little bit about your career while you've hired military officers. When we were talking ahead of time about before we started recording this about you managing your career and and about how many people there's an element of people that they leave a company which is very different than pursuing a new opportunity at the right time. And you have moved from P&G, world-class, great, built-to-last company uh, by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras. GE built-to-last company as well. Eaton, clearly a top performer. So you spent about five years or so with each of those organizations. Can you elaborate on what we were talking about before about, you know, you said, yes, I, you know, I did. I, I moved from one company to another. What caused you to manage your career in that way, what were you thinking, the thought process, and any insight you could t share with people who are in managing their careers so they don't make mistakes and leave an organization, but rather continue to pursue opportunities? Sure, sure, Joel. I, there, definitely, there definitely were circumstances that, you know, at every turn in the road, and, uh, you know, I never looked back on any of that with with regret. You know, I'm very happy with where I am, and you know the the road takes us all in a certain direction. You make a decision, and you move on, and you keep going. But you know, thinking back to P and G, you know, you might ask, oh, why would a guy leave Procter and Gamble? You know, what a great organization. And in you know, in my case, um, I was very very impatient as uh, as a young growing executive you know, when I I was so excited to make my transition. And that excitement and that energy served me very well in, in that first couple of years at Procter & Gamble because I just really came out focused on doing great work. Uh, I was confident in my experience. You know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't let, the, let there be any boundaries for me in the organization, you know, just re respectfully attacking everything I could. But I, I probably became a little too focused on uh, how fast can I move up. When am I going to get to that next level? You know, I mentioned that the the marketing people uh, at P&G asked me to kind of hop over from finance to that side, and that's a highly selective career field. You know, usually reserved for people that go to go to Kellogg or Duke or, or places like that for business school. And uh, the problem was I didn't have any functional advertising skills, and I would have had to go back to square one. Now. If, if longer term, someone's goal was to be a general manager at a company like Procter & Gamble and be a great marketer, it makes all the sense in the world to invest a couple years and, and go back to square one. Now, in parallel, I had this opportunity for a promotion in finance at GE. 
And at the time, you know, you got to go back to 2000. Uh, Jack Welch hadn't retired yet. Uh, GE was all the rage, so certainly was an attractive option. So ultimately, at that point in time, I decided uh, maybe I'm better fit to be a finance guy than a marketer. But uh, you know, like I said, Joel, I was kind of impatient to get that promotion as well. So uh, that that sort of tipped the scales towards GE. So I think there were two learnings there. One was really trying to ask myself deep down in my heart, what do I do well? And I think I probably did make the right call sticking with finance. But the learning is also, uh, you know, don't don't be too impatient in those early years in your career as you transition. And this is a really good point, Danny. I think when Roger Cameron and Renee Brooks, the founders of our organization, um, by the way, a little history of people who are listening to this, Roger Cameron and Renee Brooks are, uh, now retired, and you said you started, you came to the conference when Chuck was just starting. Chuck's now the CEO of our company, just to show you how old you are now, Dan. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Um, but, you know, Roger had this idea, and Renee had this idea that, um, you know, remember they formed this back in the late 1960s. You go to work for a company, you develop, and you commit, they commit to you. You know, the business world's changed, and there is more movement, fluidity in the marketplace now, especially for ambitious, talented people. You know, we advocate to people that um, don't leave an organization, and but you know, but do manage your career. When I say leave an organization, I mean don't quit, don't leave because there's something wrong with it or something that you're probably just going to find something on the other side. There's a difference between that and managing your career. But at a minimum, give yourself five years, three, four, five years to build a foundation at each place. Because if you move too quickly, it's hard to develop what you just said. Can I learn? Do I really there long enough to build that track record of success and to learn? And it's so important that when people are first starting their career, that they build that foundation most importantly. And that's what I see when I look at your LinkedIn profile. Yes, you've been to three or four different or four or five different organizations, but it's been in all basically I think P&G might be the, the shortest at three and a half years, but everything's been around the five-year increment or so. Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like I did, um, I did make a commitment to each of those organizations and, and, and learn great things from from each of them. I, you know, at GE, the, the first role was, uh, you know, sort of a, sort of a plant finance leadership role, which was an incredible assignment if you can get it. It's, it's learned so much in plants. And uh, I got promoted from, from there to a CFO role where I had 10 locations reporting to me. Uh, big jump in responsibility, a lot of learning there. And, but when I went to that role, remember the, the CEO of GE Aircraft Engine said, hey, uh, I want you to take this job, but just know we might sell this business. And sure enough, I was there a couple months, and uh, we started working on selling the business. Um, Tremendous learning opportunity. You know, spent uh, close to two years marketing that division of GE and and going through the entire mergers and acquisitions process. And it was it was purchased by a private equity firm, the Carlisle Group. And Carlisle convinced me to stick with the company and and leave GE. You know, one of the one of the things I learned about is sort of that there's this middle market of companies out there. You know, I, everything in my career at that point had been blue chip, blue chip, and um, sometimes I would get a little frustrated in larger organizations. I really wanted to be somewhere where I could make a make a more direct impact on what's happening. And 
you know, not have to work through such a big hierarchy to make decisions and so on. And I, I was attracted to that. So that when we sold the division from GE, that led me to kind of stick with that group and, and help set it up as a, as a privately owned company. And really great learning there. There's a lot of, there's, there's certainly, uh, just like there's positives and, and challenges of, of staying in the military, the same is true for working with a, a, a very big corporation versus something smaller. Yeah. And, of course, you did all that after you had that really strong foundation and then yeah. going, on to eat, going on to eat. You said in the beginning, let's, let's, let's go to this piece, you said that hey, you certainly overcame some adversity in your career. Um, share with us some of that adversity. Maybe there's lessons we can pass on to other people listening to this about, hey, everybody goes through adversity. They're not the only ones out there going through adversity. And, and maybe some tips and lessons learned that you had overcoming that. Yeah, absolutely, Joel. And and uh, just just to emphasize the point you just made, you know, um, that uh, for for candidates listening to this, the you you cannot put a price on that blue chip experience early in your career. So even if even if your goal is to end up uh, working working somewhere smaller or maybe a more entrepreneurial environment, I would highly highly recommend taking advantage of the opportunity to work for some companies like this. Um, it just, it's just something that stays with you, both, both in terms of uh, the name recognition, obviously, but you know, more importantly, what the, the world-class practices you learn at, at places like that. Um, so, so, yeah, in terms of adversity, <laughs> I've certainly had my share. You know, it's easy to look at a LinkedIn profile and, and say, oh, wow, this all looks so logical and it's all it's all built together uh, perfectly. In, in my case, once I got to the level of, of being a CFO, really the, it's critical that, that you have a good fit and a good partnership with the CEO that, that you support or the general manager at a larger company that you're supporting as a finance leader. And in my case, I, I had a couple instances where that just, that just wasn't true. You know, myself and that, that CEO weren't clicking and uh, it's, it's actually happened twice to me and it happened happened once at, at Eaton and it it led me to uh, you know to, to transition from a role at Eaton into uh, kind of from an operational P&L leader role into uh, a support function supporting the supply chain group and uh, you know I think that was just a matter of perseverance I, I didn't put my head down and run from Eaton I was able to reconnect with uh, with an individual that had brought me into the organization, and it just gave me a great opportunity to uh, establish some balance in my life and, and and kind of drive some really cool initiatives at the company. You know, while uh, it took a bit of a breather from the grind of the the quarterly forecast and you know all the things that go with with running a P&L, and that helped me get real clarity with with what I wanted to do. As, as I moved my career forward. And ultimately, a, a, a recruiter called that uh, I'd been talking to for a couple years, and you know, I remembered that private equity experience from when I uh, sold the business at GE and had this opportunity to become the CFO of a standalone company and uh, to kind of run my own show and be the private equity firm's guy that they brought in. 
you know, if 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 I would have taken that that bad boss situation at Eaton and just run from it and uh, taken an easy opportunity just to go to another big company, you know, in a in a division CFO role or something like that that was available to me, I'm, I'm not sure I would have seen the, the 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 that I really wanted that private equity opportunity. So, so boil that down. You know, it's interesting. I just talked to a young man earlier this week that's having some challenges with his boss. They their leadership styles don't click. Um, there, there's an element of getting guidance. Uh, it's given. There's a plan that's given from the subordinate, the GMO, back to the boss. They get ready to execute. The boss changes his mind. You know, that's just typical stuff. You know, that's what the boss gets to be right. the boss for. Um, boss, you know, you know, what would you say to somebody that this? What would you say to an individual that's you know first two years out into the into, what are they, maybe it's anybody, but first two years into their career for sure, it says, hey, I'm having a challenge with my boss. I'm, I'm just not sure I'm getting along, so I'm thinking about leaving. What would be your advice to that person? Yeah, you know, I, 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 think, the, I think the first advice is, especially if you're in that first couple of years of transitioning, it's, it's taking – you know, we we all come out of the, the military very ambitious, and I, you know, I just remember I felt like I had a, a fire underneath me that to get that corporate career going. I'm behind. I'm already 27 years old. You know, that sort of thing. Um, but but there is there is that aspect of of coming in an organization and being a follower at first. You know, it's, it's it's such a fine balance. You know, we've been talking this whole discussion, leadership, 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 but. You know, kind of coming into an entry point in an organization, there is that element of being a good soldier and kind of being the first one in and the last one out and grinding it out and 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 this this balance of doing what you're told and then and then a little more and then a little more, a little bit to move it forward, but but not losing sight of um, yeah, I do work for somebody and uh, I want to uh, make sure we're executing uh, executing their mission. Um, so. I, I certainly had those challenges early in my career at Procter and Gamble. You know, when I experienced some success, it's, it's, it's easy to get a little cocky, I think, and start thinking, "Oh man, I could. This guy isn't making the right decisions, or I could, I could do this role, or or what have you." Um, so it's it's really tricky to kind of balance sort of a healthy, you know, that healthy intellectual curiosity I was talking about with. You know, recognizing that you're 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 part of a team, and and uh, sometimes you just have to do what you're told. So, you know, my advice to someone struggling is to is to hang in there, to communicate. You know, really, um, you know, do what your boss is asking you. But you know, if there's something you don't agree with, find a way to sort of respectfully uh, make your point known without being arrogant. Yeah, it's really it's interesting. It's just kind of it's foreign to me. To want to to leave an organization because um, conflict with a with a boss. I'm sure I know it happens, of course. And I and I would say in the military, maybe it's being in the military where I had some great bosses and I had some ones that I think had a lot of potential. But you know, I just did I didn't resonate the yelling, the screaming. Maybe it's different the Air Force and the Army. But right. The, the yelling, the screaming, the cursing, the name calling. Yeah, it never did well with me. I didn't like it, and I didn't agree with a lot of the decisions. But maybe because I couldn't quit, it gave me, and maybe for a lot of military officers, maybe we're talking about the minority that do want to take off and, and leave. 
But I got, you know, you know, coaches, maybe it's sports, whether it be a coach I didn't agree with, the yelling, screaming, the decisions. You know, it just, I was brought up in a family where you just, you don't quit. You finish it out. And uh, you put your head down and keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and execute to the very best that you can. Um, and I just yeah, hate to see people I, make those decisions because they're going to run into another bad boss. It's not going to be the last yes. one out there. Uh, well, I can certainly attest to that, Joel. I mean, I, you know, I had to... Had the bad boss at at, at Eaton, and um, you know, so I make this decision to, to to go the private equity route, go to work for the small company. I'm going from a from organizations that are billions and billions of dollars to uh, being the CFO of a 50 million dollar company, and uh, really having a, a totally different type of responsibility, which I enjoy tremendously, but. Our, our firm was uh, was my my current firm was struggling to find the right leader for that business. So I had I had three different CEOs in three years, and uh, for different reasons. Uh, but every time a new one comes in, it's kind of like you're rolling the dice. Is there going to be a fit there? It's different than going through an interview process and and, and seeing uh, how you connect with somebody if if a new leader just shows up one day. So that's a that's a challenge, and you know, on the third one, he and I didn't fit. We didn't fit at all, and uh, and that was mutual. Uh, it's a very challenging situation. I love the fact that I was in this uh, private equity world, and uh, ultimately, uh, when when you're in a position like CFO, you know, the CEO wants to have their person there. So this guy uh, wanted to move me on. So it was the first time in my career that. Uh, I was facing the the specter of being fired, and I and I really could have could have reacted to that different in a lot of different ways. And uh, what what I chose to do was sort of see the writing on the wall, and I kind of made it easy for him. We worked something out. We worked out a transition, and um, I the the business at the time was going through a key initiative to refinance the debt on our business and rather than pouting or running off or uh, you know peeling out of the parking lot or something <laughs> my car I don't know I I, I kept working and be uh, part of the solution just, uh, that's what you're saying that's really it is it be part of the solution yeah. right so uh, what ended up happening was I I did an awesome job on, on refinancing that debt I you know, sort of, I sort of used some fuel to uh, to, to show this. We well, wanted to show this guy he was making a big mistake. Um, although I was happy that I wasn't going to be working with him anymore, I gave great presentations to the banks, and we refinanced the debt on this company. Con convinced Goldman Sachs to pick up the loan on the business, and the folks from Gray Mountain Partners, my current firm, uh, were were there seeing me in action doing this, and actually came to me and said, hey, you seem to kind of like talking about the business and, and selling the dream and that sort of thing. How come you're never an investment banker? You know, and I kind of joked, well, you know, I'm in my mid-40s now and can't go intern on Wall Street or something. But ultimately that, that led to Gray Mountain Partners offering, offering me a position at their firm. And it's a yeah. pretty... Yeah, definitely a pretty wild story. I mean, it's very difficult to crack into private equity, and let alone as being the you know a CEO in their a CFO in their portfolio that their CEO wants to fire. 
and uh, you know how do you end up working for the firm? And um, I, I really think it was just sort of about uh, demonstrating the professionalism through that transition and and sticking with it rather than rather than running. And and it ended up resulting in me finding a great fit in my career. And you know, I think we got two more questions for you before we we we're going to wrap up, and one of them is going to be the best advice that you ever received. And but I'm going to go first here because it ties into um, what you just talked about. I just had I just read this in a book called uh, I think it's called Givers and Takers or Give and Take. Um, I don't have, I've loaned it to somebody, but in in the book it talks about being a giver and how givers are more successful than takers. And in the piece, there's a piece of advice from one of the most successful, what they define as one of the most successful givers out there. And, and what you did is exactly what this guy says. First of all, show up. It starts with show, showing up. <laughs> and, and two is work hard. That's what you, you know, you were part of the solution. You worked hard. Um, to, and then three, be kind. Um, and that doesn't mean necessarily be agreeable. Um, being kind means listening, being respectful, and honoring other people as human beings. But be kind, and then and then lastly, stay above the fray, which sounds like you did with the CEO. He's like, you know, I'm not going to get caught up in this. I'm going to keep coming to work every day. I'm going to work hard to develop a solution here. I'm going to treat everybody with respect. I'm not going to mail it in on this project, and I'm going to stay above the fray. And um, and I think and I've got this now. Um, on a sticky note that's taped to my monitor at, uh, here right at work. I'm looking at it right now. That to me, for me, is the best advice I've ever received. I got it from a book, not from another person. But when I just heard you say that, I was like, yes, that's exactly what Dan did, just did to overcome that difficult boss. But for you, what's the best advice that you ever received? Um, yeah, and Joel, thanks for that analogy. I, mean, I, I agree 100% what you're saying there. Um, I stumbled my way into that solution, but uh, certainly, it's certainly great advice. I, for I think the best advice I ever received, and just kind of going back to that early career experience when I was just so motivated to move ahead, and what's the next thing, and how soon can I get promoted? It's 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 doing every job like it's the last one you'll ever have. You know, really this element of really this element of kind of staying in the moment and showing up every day. And giving 100% effort, and you know, it's I know it's cliche. A lot of people have heard the saying, but it's you know, it's doing every job like it's the last one you'll have, and then it won't be. And and that's that's just so true. You know, when you just stay focused on what you're doing, do the best you can, then one day the the, the phone rings or the email inbox dings, and and that next opportunity is there. Last question. What's your what's a book that you would recommend, or the best book that you've ever read that you think other people should read? Sure, I, you know, and I don't know if it's the best book I've ever read. There's been been a lot of books, but one that uh, since we've been talking about uh, talking about corporate finance uh, in this discussion, you know, both from the perspective of working in a large organization like Procter and Gamble to being the CFO of a, of a smaller entity to you know. Now, working as an investor, uh, it's it's so important to understand the numbers in a business. And there's a, a, a really simple, quick read uh, that I that I always valued. It's called "What the CEO 
wants you to know. I think I have that right by Ram Sharad. That's exactly it's on our yeah. recommended list too, by the way. Super. I mean, it's I, I, I really that that book. You know, I, I think I read it maybe um, oh maybe ten years into my career. Maybe not quite that long, but I, I've been working in for a while in finance and so hung up on. Oh, you know, just so many numbers and so many different reports and so many ways to look at the business. But what this book does is it it really boils some some critical financial concepts down to to basic analogies. I think he uses a uh, a fruit a fruit cart street side fruit cart operator in India as an example of managing a business, and and basically he he breaks down. You know, success in business to, to cash flow and return on assets and has a really cool really cool equation that, that says hey business comes down to your margins and uh, how fast you turn your inventory over and gives some great examples of companies with uh, low margins and very high turnover like a Walmart and uh, of course an extremely high margin company like a Google and, and both getting to some some strikingly similar results in terms of uh, return on capital. So I, that that book really hit home for me, and and it's led me to change the way I look at businesses. You know, especially now that I'm in private equity, and we look at so many different companies every year. You know, we go visit with close to 100 management teams a year, and you have to really quickly boil down a business and get into it. I, I started using that framework to sort of Pareto out of business and, and see what the key drivers are for both asset velocity and profit margins. So I'd recommend it to anyone, whether you're in finance or not. Yeah, so just to, I'm just to tell everybody that's listening, What Every CEO Wants You to Know by Ram Sharan. Great book. By the way, another really good book for anybody, not necessarily just interviewing for finance opportunities. It's called Visual Finance. Um, the author's first name is Georgi. And I want to say it's like Svetnoff or something like that. So just Amazon, um, whatever, uh, excuse me, uh, visual finance, red book, red cover. It's like $13. It's really good. And it, and it gets into like cost of goods sold and things like that. So it helps people that are in manufacturing understand how they impact the profitability of a company. I just want to add my two cents because I just read it. Oh, great. Yeah, I'll have to check that out myself, Joel. Thanks for that. Good. Hey, Dan, thank you so much uh, for uh, spending uh, an hour with with us today, and and I appreciate you taking time to to do this. And um, certainly, maybe we'll catch back up and in, in another time and have you back on again. If there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please let us know. Um, any final parting thoughts or anything like that? Well, um, you know, if, if there's any candidates out there listening to this, you know, I would just say. You know, stick with it and work hard and, and, and trust these guys at Cameron Brooks. You know, they're going to match you with great opportunities. And uh, there's a lot of ways to be successful out there. And uh, you just have to believe in yourself. So I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time, Joel, and uh, letting me ramble on here a little bit. And uh, I've certainly enjoyed the walk down memory lane. And if there's anything I can ever do to help, uh, please don't hesitate to ask. All right, Dan, you take care. Thanks for being on the show. All right. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.